Hello and welcome to another episode of Can I Pull You for a Chat? I'm your host, Chloe. Every episode, we invite one of our friends to bring us a topic to discuss, something that's been tickling their fancy. And today, we are blessed by with the presence of my co-host, Eos. Eos, welcome. Hello, everyone. This is Eos. I'm happy to be here again with uh, Glow for this for this lovely podcast. We're excited to have Tyler on today. And yeah, Tyler. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, Tyler, welcome. Number first time on the pod, but I'm sure you'll be a recurring guest. So happy to have hey. you. Also, first one of man. the most flexible <laughs> sketches. Yeah, first, yes. one of, first man, that's true. Yeah, first man yeah, on the yeah. pod. Listen, OG will never live this down. Yeah. <laughs> Good shepherd. Um, but anyway, we're so happy to have you. Also, I want to know that he is very, very flexible with the scheduling. <laughs> so, yes. So we and appreciate so that. And we're going to have a record of that. Yes. And reminding us about daylight savings. That was really no helpful today because we were about to be an hour late, an hour late for sure. But anyway, we appreciate you so much for having So we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, so for our intro section today, for Icebreaker, um, for context, Eos and I are together on holiday, even though we're not in the same room right now as we're recording. <laughs> A distant holiday, great topic. But um, so we wanted to uh, know for our question, what have you learned in your time taking vacations? What have you learned about your vacation self? What do you value? What what's what doesn't hit the mark for you? Yeah, uh, there's a lot there. I feel that first of all, it depends, you know, whether or not you're traveling alone. Um, but I think mm-hmm. I think if you are going to travel with somebody, that person sort of needs to be in lockstep <laughs> with you or somewhat flexible or, or it turns into a semi like babysitting situation or you guys just aren't clicking or you, just the clashing interests can really make for a really unrestful vacation. So major key there is if you're going to vacation with somebody, <laughs> vacation with somebody that you uh, not just get along with, but can sort of move with in that space. I'm sure maybe you guys can speak to that right now. Um, but generally speaking, if I'm, taking time off of work uh, to go to a place and relax or do things, I would like a good balance. I would like a balance of exploration, maybe walking around a city or going on a hike or something. Um, that, that sort of very energetic uh, aspect to, to vacations where you really are trying to soak in something new. And I also want that built-in time to just relax, read a book, lay out on the beach or something like that. So I think for me, a good vacation strikes that balance. I would love, I love everything you just said. Um, And I think it's uh, really important when you're going on vacation with people to make sure that it is like, like you said, lockstep, um, or at least that you have the same like ideology for what a vacation should be, right? and deal with unexpected travel things in a relatively calm demeanor or something like that. That's yeah, that needs to be there. I also mm-hmm. really like, I think for my vacations, I do like the balance, but I think I err more towards the relaxing and like the do nothing. Um, I do like to be able to like walk around like a, a city casually, like somewhere that's very like walkable and you don't have to like take a lot of transportation or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I do love the relaxing lounging in the pool, that sort of stuff, sleeping. <laughs> Glow, what about you? Glow. Yeah, I am in also in complete agreement. I do tend to, depends on the vacation. I think the one that I'm currently on has tended towards more relaxing, but usually I tend to be towards more active. But I've also, yes and I, this is our like second official vacation together, but we work really well together in that even we can find things to do together and things to not do together. And I think that's actually what I've learned a lot, but I need to be able to have time to just also, you're cracking me up that you have a beer right now. <laughs> so now I feel like I need to go get a drink. But well, look, anyway, I, I have a beer. I have like coffee, I want I people who are okay doing things on their own. Yes, mm. you have beer, mm. coffee, mm. and water. Yeah, what is it? Yeah. Hydration, Rage. enjoyment, caffeine, 
And water. I was thinking uh, or no, Father, water Son, was Holy Spirit, but <laughs> that works as well. I suppose. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I like that one. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's a good point, though. Fun, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was just thinking that's a really good point. If you're going to travel with somebody, it's it's probably really important to have that time where you can go your separate ways, like have that understanding that, of course, it's no offense intended. People need their mm -hmm. space. People need their moments, you know, um, and being in someone's presence constantly can be a little exhausting, even if you love that person dearly. So I think it's really a brilliant move to have that in mind when you go in. It's like, okay, we're going to spend some good quality time together, but we're also going to go our separate ways and do our own things here and there really important ingredient i think to a successful uh group vacation i think for me if i don't have that component on a group vacation then it's not a vacation for me like i'm a person who needs like alone time and recharging time very frequently anyway and so like when on vacation being in such close quarters with someone i do or many someone's right like i do need that alone time yesterday gloria and i actually um well we fully died <laughs> Not because we'd been like drinking or partying or anything. No, actually the opposite. <laughs> Fully sober. Um, yesterday we like, we slept the, the night before last, we like slept the whole night and, and then we both like slept in like crazy. And then I think we saw each other twice during the day. Um, and we just kind of looked at each other and went like, did like a nod. And then like <laughs> just went about our businesses for the whole day and then went to sleep that night. And we like barely spoke to each other yesterday, but it was this beautiful, like unspoken, like I'm doing me today. And was, you know, I just want to be alone in my own little universe. It was and, great. And now we're all the better for it today. And now I'm just like, okay, now I feel like I have, um, something to give to the rest of uh, also a lot of friends you know maya maya who's uh, joined us and a lot of friends also joined us so now we're like oh actually i feel like i have energy to give and i recently yeah. had um this saying came up again in a conversation that i was having with a work erg which was the concept of like you can't pour from an empty cup and I was just like, yeah, you definitely feel that sometimes like you, whatever it is, however it is that you fill your cup, I think that also applies to like vacation. It's like, okay, now I'm ready to be present for X amount of time and then I'll crash again. Mm. Yep. Do you have yeah. any fun vacations coming up? Uh, no, I do go to New York semi-regularly and um, I mean, to me and probably to both, like all of us, um, New York is barely a vacation. There's just way too much going on. Yeah, um, not 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 at all. No, I'll, I'll probably go there to see some friends, um, some of my dear friends. But I'll tell you what I'd like to do. Um, desperately, I want to go to Istanbul. Um, mm. I want to eat the food. I want to shop the markets. I just want to be there. Um, I the only time during this pandemic that I've left the country. Well, I guess I've left twice. Uh, and I'm very fortunate to have done so. One was Mexico um, for a friend's birthday, and one was uh, the Netherlands for a friend's wedding. So I haven't really been able to go with the intention of, I'm going to like plan out my, my way through this city, through this experience, and like mm -hmm. pick out the experiences I want to have as opposed to sort of being a part of somebody else's schedule. Um, so that's... Honestly, maybe that's one of the bigger things I'm looking forward to too, is that agency while traveling. It's really big for me. So Istanbul is really high on my list for like the culture and, and the food and the music and the shopping. Um, but it's probably, it's probably a little ways off. Uh, I would love to go to Istanbul. Um, but that's awesome. definitely a place as a solo traveler, I still feel like I want to go with someone. Mm. Um, just because um, there is like a significant language barrier and there's not, um, I'm not as well tuned to like wh how to get on by. So I was like, I still would like a buddy. And also, yes, to the shopping, all things shopping. <laughs> all right, friends, uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with the main section. Welcome back everyone. And for our main section of the show, uh, Tyler uh, has brought a great book. Oh, she, 
we're going to do this again. I'm done. <laughs> Too much languishing has occurred. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Uh, welcome back, everyone, for our main section of the show. Tyler has brought us All About Love by Bell Hooks, and we will be discussing certain elements of that in deep, in, deep, uh, in greater detail. Tyler, wouldn't you start by telling us um, and our listeners why you chose this book and a little bit about the work? Yeah, so I actually came to this book at a strange time uh, in my life. I guess a bit of backstory. Um, so a couple years ago, I was in San Francisco um, and I was trying to date. And dating in San Francisco, uh, especially as a, a black dude, is a very charged thing. It's charged in ways that it's not, I think, in, um, say, New York or DC. It's just a very different experience. Um, so I was dealing with that. I was also dealing with somebody who I felt like I liked, but couldn't really connect with in the way I wanted to. <laughs> and so I actually, if there's a wrong way to come uh, to Bell Hooks, it's this. I just wanted advice on how to sort of figure out how to discuss love. Like, what is the recipe? What am I missing here? What's 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 not clicking? Um, and so that's my first read through of this book. I, I, I came across it in City Lights Bookstore, a wonderful sort of Beats era bookstore in um, North Beach in San Francisco. I came across it and tore through in it. December. I really liked that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really, really cool spot. Um, but uh, that relationship <laughs> fell through, uh, as one might expect. Um, but this book came to my attention again in more recent times. Um, I don't. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say these past couple of years have been absolute trash. Like failure through and through from all of our uh, public officials, all of our systems, just tragic. Um, but I mean, probably a lot of us expected it. Probably a lot of your listeners ex expected it from, from the setup we have here in the state. But anyway, um, as it seemed like all of our systems were failing us, I felt myself, again, still in San Francisco, looking around and trying to figure out what to sort of latch onto in this time of wild uncertainty. And uh, I, I think I realized one of the most important aspects in my life, one of the most key factors in my growth as a person has been my community, has been my friends, uh, people who have been able to put up with me at my worst and see me for my best and aid me in my attempts to better myself. And so it's within that context that I revisited uh, this text, which while yes, a lot of it is about sort of romantic love and there are sections about self-love, it's also really useful for figuring out what kind of community you want to situate yourself in or what even makes for a healthy community. And there's a lot here. And we, of course, we won't be able to get to all the book within this podcast, but I think one of the calling cards for this book is uh, Bell Hooks gives a bit of a recipe for love. Um, and in that recipe are uh, care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, and trust, as well as open and honest communication. And so I started thinking about those elements as key factors in healthy relationships. And I think it's really useful. It's been super useful for me to think through these things as I really intentionally uh, strengthen my relationships with friends who are all the way across the country and then moving back to DC and being able to see those per those people um, in person again, again, working on these particular elements um, has helped me, I feel, grow as a person, as a friend. And so that's really what I'm coming to this uh, episode of your podcast with is these ideas um, as the centerpiece for healthy and bountiful and loving relationships. And so I guess maybe my first question to the group is thinking through these elements, again, care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, trust, and open and honest communication. I'm wondering for you guys where you feel maybe, maybe which one of these characteristics are you most comfortable in what feels most natural to you as a friend 
are there any of these that you feel you really excel in and are there any that you feel you've had to really work on? Swinging. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe I can go first, sort of lead lead the way here. Um, albeit I have not put any thought into my own answering my own question. <laughs> um, Lovely. But I think <laughs> I think something that I've been getting better and better at is recognition, and I think it's a really loaded term because. It implies, of course, a deep knowledge of the other person, but it also implies a deep knowledge of the way you guys interact. And so for me, I think when I feel like I'm practicing recognition of my friendships, I feel like I'm best able to meet my friends where they are. For instance, there are some friends I have who will never show up on time, never, ever, ever show up on time. It just is what it is. It, it, it is a chronic problem. And I've found it within myself uh, to stop feeling angry and to sort of let go of that anger and the frustration and planned around it. <laughs> it you know, maybe, maybe they should work on being on time. Yes. <laughs> but if these are relationships I want to hold on to and relationships that I treasure, this is just something that I might have to put up with. We're obviously all human. We're all flawed and, uh, we work on our, our issues at different paces. And so, this is one area I feel um, where I've been able to really exercise patience and just understand how I can better interact with the person who's almost certainly going to show up an hour late. <laughs> so that's one thing that's really th that I've enjoyed, I guess, watching myself progress in. And I'm going to think more on the ones that I'm <laughs> that I'm struggling with. <laughs> Do you guys have any any thoughts? I really, I really like that one a lot. That's a good one. Um, I think that's definitely a work in progress for me, but I actually think that the one reading the list also just putting in as much uh, thought as the time it took you to say that question. <laughs> so is the caveat there um, <laughs> is I really like honest and open communication as a place that needs a lot of work. And that's, I don't think of myself as a dishonest person, but I think that that, that, but I think that that term or those words and that fat aspect of love really takes many, many nuanced ways. So it isn't about not being able to tell the truth and different, it can be, but it's, not just telling the truth to your friends, your partners. It's about being honest with yourself, which I think really is the crux of the matter of the work there. And the, and by being able to like hold yourself in that set, that level of honesty, and then feeling empowered and having enough trust within the friendship, the relationship, whatever that is, to communicate that. So like it's not just knowing what is honest, what is true. It's being able to live it. And being able to live it not just in the big moments, but in the small moments, I think that's like really where the, at least for me, the work is of like the day to day, the like things that seem um, superfluous or that, that shouldn't matter as much, like being able to still live honestly and communicate honestly in those uh, aspects, especially because I think uh, one of my big problems is like I always want to spare people's feelings. Or especially when it's like a touchy thing, I'm just like wanting to spare. I'm just like all work around in a way, and uh, sometimes that is the thing to do. But at the times that doesn't really serve you or that particular relationship or that person themselves. I don't know. That's a long-winded way of saying of just like the day-to-day, -day, the like the simpler things of living honestly are a good amount of work. Yeah, that's astute. I mean. You're, you're touching on, uh, I think I've, I've heard it be called the reflexivity. Um, I forget the specific term, but reflexivity versus genuine reflection and implementation. Uh, acknowledging a problem exists is not the same as working through it or working to, to change it. So it's a good point, I think you bring up. And also not taking shortcuts because there's a great amount of band-aids that you can put on a problem that will get you there. So yeah, exactly. It's it's all like you said. The last years have been 
ass. So <laughs> one of the things that it's been to say is like one of the only benefits is like the ability to stew and sit with yourselves, uh, sit with yourself. So I feel like that's where it's just so like the act of consistently being able to sit with things and then work through things, even when they're unpleasant, like is really where the growth is. Mm. I think to answer this for me, I'm going to start with something that I'm good at because uh, it's Go definitely more interesting to either hear that, well, actually, I don't think that you're good at that or um, like I think it's more interesting to talk about things that you're not so good at. So I'll start with what I'm good at. I think that I'm good at like caring for my friends um, and like being very affectionate and I know that they are separate. Um, but I think that a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot in the way that I care and the way that I'm in fashion, I think there's a lot of overlap for the two for me. Gloria, stop smirking. Um, and, um, but I think that it's like, it's, um, it's definitely something that I need to, those two in particular are something you need to be very like particular with individuals about, right? Because everybody needs care or understands care and affection as separate things differently. Um, but I feel like I'm pretty good at those that I'm very close to at tailoring, um, which brings me happiness. Um, things that I am not, so things that I'm still working on, shall we phrase it? Um, I'm gonna go with commitment because it hasn't really been talked about yet in between your answers. Um, but really in like spreading myself too thin or like um, I guess lasering in on a few friends and kind of yo-yoing between those and not really understanding my like actual capacity to commit to people or um, like plans or just like, you know, actively participating in some sort of friendship relationship. Um, and I think that often that has a lot to do with just my like social like capacity where it's at at the time and how much it can change rapidly. Um, but I often feel like I will either overcommit or undercommit. And I don't think that I have the greatest like, you know, baseline balance for that, um, which I think has cost me friends that aren't like, you know, people you text day to day, like every day, um, mm -hmm. but people that you really enjoy the company of, you really enjoy having a relationship and just letting it kind of fade away a little too much for me because of not being able to accurately um, commit what I can commit at the time, I guess, mm -hmm. or judge what I can commit at the time. Maybe that speaks to uh, your, prefer your preferred mode of friendship, which is perhaps a bit more involved. I, I feel as though, um, maybe this is a dude thing, I'm not sure, but I can like not talk to a friend, not text a friend for months on end, uh, see him six months later, dap him up and it's like we never, mm -hmm. <laughs> we never missed a beat. Um, and, I, and I do understand that there are a lot of friends who prefer a much more constant stream of, of communication, um, a, a, like a perhaps a larger energy output. Um, that actually is something maybe um, Hooks doesn't <laughs> address in the text, but yeah, it is. it can be extremely, extremely draining <laughs> to be a good friend. It can, it really can. Um, I think one other thing I wanted to add to the question is, maybe the way we're answering this to me at least knowing both of you as friends it seems like we're mentioning the elements that take more work or i don't think we're bad at these things i think in some i think that these are the things we actively work on versus the things that come easier and natural to us mm -hmm. of them just like oh again like you have like an endless well of like care and affection to give like you really just second nature to you versus like also it's like oh i act i'm actively working to, like being mindful that i'm i don't know like working on my the recognition of like the people involved in this relationship and this partnership this that and the other so i wanted to like i wanted to see how that that lens sat with either of you hmm. 
I mean, you do have a point. I think elements such as respect and trust are a bit more like passive, one might say. Like they just sort of exist or they don't. <laughs> and um, yeah, maybe maybe you're on to something there. Because I, I definitely have deep respect for all my friends, but I probably wouldn't shout myself out for <laughs> saying as much. It, it feels like it's one of those things that is so elementary that like, why are you even trying to have a relationship with this person if you don't respect them, you know? Yeah. It, that actually brings me on the same page as she mentions that. Um, this is where my love language, I felt like I felt seen when on the, like the fourth page of the book, um, I don't, it's the red version, red cover version, if our readers have that. Um, and when she said that love is an act of will, namely both intention and an action, where I was just like, all of these things to me, all the things that I've grown to value are really, and all the recipes that she mentions, they seem to be action oriented. So I would actually push back on respect and trust being passive. I think once they've been established, yes, it's more work to... It's not as much work, to, I, and I think there's work that goes into maintain, maintain, maintaining them and cultivating them as well. So mm-hmm. even though they might be not as um, action-oriented as like being carrying the same level, but I do think that there's definitely some sort of level of action in being a respectful person, being a trustworthy friend and partner, um, mm-hmm. if not to the same degree. I think that makes me think of like respect and friendships or familiar relationships um, with power dynamics, right? Um, Because there's often respect is considered like a one-way street, especially with certain power dynamics like age or like certain family members or something. Um, And that you have to, respect would need to be worked on more. Um, I'm thinking of some like, some examples that I'm not gonna like um, speak plainly about, but um, having to work, because you value the person or the relationship, having to work at getting them to respect you and also you not completely Um, taking away the level of respect that you had already given them out of like a, well, you don't respect me. I'm not going to respect you at all. Um, And like actually having to work to respect each other in a more equitable way rather than say whatever came before. I think that often happens when people grow up, especially children and become adults Mm. um, with people that they know through some sort of, power hierarchy or hierarchy of some of some nature and so i think in that sense yes respect would be something less passive and more much more on like the front lines i guess which i hadn't thought about until you raised that question gloria mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i i mean yes that makes a lot of sense and i think that's what also makes friendship a unique relationship in this sense because uh you really do pick your friends. Um, You really do pick your friends and you, I'll say generally, expect a level of, I'd say expect a certain type of behavior versus one may expect from a family member or even a partner, even a romantic partner. For instance, um, there are so many abusive relationships, um, right? And relationships can become abusive, they can start off abusive. Um, But I feel like we're far less likely to accept abuse for uh, verbal or physical from friends, we would just step away from them as friends, you know, we don't have any other ties. I think that something about that elevates friendship in my mind to this ultimate level of uh you're really choosing this person you're really choosing this person without any sort of ulterior motive there's no societal pressure to couple necessarily with a friend in the way that that there's you know that expectation for a romantic partner 
um, you don't have that blood relationship or that familial tie, this is somebody you're picking because you like them, <laughs> you fuck with them, <laughs> and you want them in your life. Um, and so, yeah, to me, that just makes friendship, I think, a really special domain in one's life. I think Bell Hooks refers to it. I've got a quote highlighted here. Friendship is the place in which a great majority of us have our first glimpse of redemptive love and caring community. And I thought that that, I think that that is, that really speaks to the sentiment that you were just speaking of. And when I first read this, that really jumped out to me because I think you're right. There's almost a higher standard in a way. And I completely agree. And reading Bell Hooks did validate this was something that I've always mentioned to my friends, which is that for me, like romantic partners, like like the, that was like the first level. And then when we become friends, that's like the next thing of just like where, cause you know, there's instances where like romance, like the moment your friend or we've, we know people who the moment they're in a romantic relationship that immediately like surpasses and like washes away um like now this is their personal number one and this and the other i'm just like no i want us to be friends i want to value the same way i value like my closest friends Mm -hmm. like i'm just like friendship for me has always been like the golden standard to which due to the reason they said like you're choosing this both of these people you're actively choosing to engage in this partnership in this relationship um, every single day, like the more, every every year of friendship you have, you guys are choosing to do so. You're not bound by any narrative of blood that already like pre exists. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, actually, I, sort of. Oh. oh no, no, go ahead. I, I, I was sorry. I was just gonna say uh, that leads me to a different sort of line of thought. Um, I was kind of wondering what you guys if you're in a relationship where maybe one of these elements are lacking or maybe there's something else that feels like it's lacking, uh, romantic, platonic, familial, are there certain steps that you guys tend to take when trying to repair or restore a relationship? Because there's a section of this text that I think would not fly today at the end of chapter eight, um, not fly in the sense that it would probably be deeply unpopular with our, uh, with the youth, um, what page is it? Bell Hooks has this anecdote where uh, essentially her sister who comes out as a lesbian, um, her instinct is to step away entirely from her family because of the abuse she suffered. And Hooks is like, no, 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 um, there's a way out. If you stick around, if you continue communicating, um, estrangement doesn't have to be the only answer to this. And I think I really struggle with that section because I'm also part of the youth (laughs) and I'm also um, of the mindset that one should not immediately rush to restore a broken relationship. Uh, Not all relationships are worth saving, Um, but it just sort of opened up the the thought in my mind. are there steps you guys take when you feel like a relationship isn't working out? Obviously abuse is a very severe example of something not working out, but um, do you guys have any thoughts or any approach approaches to, to mending a broken relationship? I think it, it depends. I completely agree. I don't think all relationships are worth saving. Uh, many of them in fact might not be worth being saving. However, I do think that in the same way that I, I I do think that like being out in the cold or just like leaving them isn't always the solution. However, I think for like a course of uh, rehabilitating that relationship and reconcile that relationship, there has to be agency on both sides. It can't just be one way. Like both of the people have to want to make it work, and they both ha- like both parties have to be willing to be vulnerable. They have to be willing to sacrifice a good amount of their pride to make it work. And I think that if you don't feel like that's afforded to you from whoever you want to repair that relationship, and then it can't work, and therefore that is not worth repairing 
at that particular time and potentially ever. And there's also a time thing, right? Like you want to be able to be in a position like where you won't be able to fall back in that prior dynamic. So, and ergo, I think time for healing for both parties um, is important. But yeah, that's a long way of saying, I don't have like a specific like step-by-step, but like if I was going to go through that, that's what I would fast check for. Like if you feel, it has to be trust, right? You have to be able to trust that this person wants to make this work, you know? Mm. And can make it work with the required, I guess, tenants of the relationship, ideally. Yeah, I think I am not opposed to estrangement, if that's what is needed. I'm not. Um, I'm not opposed to estrangement. That's iconic, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that, you know, people, especially in our society, like often have this expectation that you will make something work regardless, right? Or that maybe the the reasons or the details that you have, um, that you have volunteered in their eyes do not, aren't good enough or something. And I just think that if a person has chosen to like cut off a relationship with a person, then, you know, clearly things were at a point where Mm -hmm. maybe they needed to do that. And I think that that's fine. I also like, I think that I feel a lot of relationships very deeply. I feel like I have more, I have a small number of very intense relationships. I would categorize myself and so losing one of those is like a, a big thing. And so I think I am prone to try for a while, but if things will get like, you know, hypothetically, if things get to a certain point, then, you know, I think there's also like the slow decline. There's all sorts of true. just seeing how something pans out. And I think there are ebbs and flows to all relationships mm. and that, and while I think maybe when I was a little bit younger, I would have been more like, okay, well, it's, you know, it's ebbing, so it's over. But I don't think that I think that anymore. Um, I think that I'm just like, oh, okay, ebb is just an ebb. And it can, you know, regrow. And oftentimes that ebb is, um, as Gloria was saying, um, a really good time period for people to heal and to, you know, become slightly more, you know, to form new patterns with each other, mm-hmm. right? When mm-hmm. you have some time mm-hmm. apart. But yes, I'm not opposed to estrangement. (laughs) (laughs) Eos famously not opposed to estrangement. (laughs) um, Okay. I do want to pivot a little bit on another aspect that I know we have not made past chapter one at this point. Well, we doubled (laughs) in past chapter eight, but I do want to, one of the things that she mentioned in the introduction uh, was uh, highlighting the different experiences of love and also writings on love and just societal conceptions of love that appear to be rather gendered. So I'll just pull out a, two quotes that I think are interesting as a starting points. And one of them is, uh, men theorize about love, but women are more often love's practitioners. And then she also uh, says on, I think two pages later, that male fantasy is seen as something that can create reality, whereas uh, female fantasy is regarded as pure escape. And then uh, there was one more, but something along um, men's experience of love as usually recipients as opposed to practitioners. So anyway, well, one, I want to bring it up as the fast man on the pod, Tyler. So Tyler, give us your perspective on that. (laughs) <laughs> well, oh, uh, speaking for all thank, men, for all yes. men, speaking yeah, I have no problem men, doing and that. all the youth. All right, cool, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, clearly. Can the audience? The audience. This is a, an audio only. They can't see me sweating right now. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um, man, she is right. I mean, it's it's totally like one of her quote unquote, like catchphrases, really, when like a, a quintessential bell hooks catchphrase is um, the, what is it? Uh, the misogynist, capitalist, imperialist, heteropatriarchy, uh, 
some order of those words. Like that is something that she's always addressing. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is this is well-trodden territory for, for Hooks's work. And she speaks a lot about uh, cultures of domination. All these are systems of domination. And the one in question here really is patriarchy. And man, that quote about um, men's fantasy um, being viewed as translatable to reality while women's fantasy uh, is pure fantasy. Um, That really stands out, (laughs) that cuts deep. Uh, Because I think for a lot of relationships that that really is the case. I think, um, you know, I (laughs) won't actually speak for, for all men, but I do think there's often that expectation of, women bringing the affection and the care to a relationship and the man maybe bringing something else, maybe bringing, um, of course we're speaking like specifically of hetero relationships in this context, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But of men maybe being the breadwinners, but not necessarily being called upon to contribute to the actual acts of loving. Um, I think that's what she gets at when she says women are, are often love's actual practitioners um, men feel a little bit excluded because, not excluded, um, exempt is the proper word because they are performing the labor, um, not always, but traditionally, um, as the breadwinners mm-hmm. and they just, they don't see those acts as, uh, necessary. And so, yeah, it's sad. It's kind of bleak, actually. I think it really hampers the growth of a lot of men. I think there are actually men who would love to be caring, would love to be soft, would love to be affectionate, um, but feel sort of constrained from doing so. And perhaps not consciously, but subconsciously. And it's it's kind of sick. Like (laughs) the US is a really sick place for it. Um, So yeah, I'll just sort of leave it there, Um, but it is, it is indeed bleak. Tis blickety bleak. I'm trying to think of the men that I'm surrounded by. I feel like I don't actually have that many men in my A family, B friend groups. Like I think predominantly my friends are women. Um, hmm. I definitely have a handful of, of male friends. Um, and then obviously there's the romantic relationships, but I'm not going to go there. I think that one of the parts that this was a very like great um, a part of like the intro was a bang. I wish it had been longer, honestly. I wish it's been its own chapter. But yeah. I think uh, she does highlight, like it's not that men don't have anything to say about love, obviously, but she does yeah. highlight that although the, like, the work written about love um, or done about love, whether it's like film and et cetera, about love by men. She does highlight just like, indeed, like most of its consumers are women. And so like, how do you explain that? Um, And one of the things that she mentioned is um, part of it, (laughs) one aspect is a female sexist thinking, which may lead some women to already feel like they already have, they already know what another woman would say about that. And also, in that women talking about love of is often seen as a challenge to the established definition of love, which is established by like a patriarchy and therefore mm. <laughs> serves a patriarchal system. So it is a very, like when a woman speaks about love, it is very, cha- like it challenges the like status quo and that, you know, tends to rattle a lot of things. And lastly, one thing that she points out in this uh, potentially gendered experience of love is that women more often than not speak from a position of luck of having not received the love they long for whereas men who write about love even those who write about it well always receive, write from a position of being recipients because women most likely in their life have been the practitioners so they kind of know what it feels like and women will write about it of like how you know, like how generally in our society, we don't talk about it, but like lovelessness is more common than love. Wow. 
Anyway, so I felt like she really came out swinging in the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> she did. She really did. Yeah. Yossi, look like you're pondering something. I think I'm just pondering the whole thing. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm, I think this particular topic, I'm trying to be very um, actively conscious about not being too personal. But my, like, um, gut reaction is to have this be, like, a very personal anecdotal conversation. And I think part of the thing that lends itself to that is because, like, um, it, it's easy to talk with both of you about these things in depth anecdotally, anecdotally. And it's so easy to know or it's so easy to feel like there's no, like, that this won't be public, right? Because I'm just looking at you on Zoom right now. And we're just chatting and such. And so I'm trying to like filter what is for public consumption and what is a private conversation. Mm. And I'm finding that much more difficult than I expected. Mm. So that I think that's why I look like I'm pondering. Because I am. <laughs> that's I totally guess. fair. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe this will be broader, which is about uh, capitalism. <laughs> the... Mm. Recurring mention of capitalism on the podcast. That we, uh, you guys have a recurring mention of love as well. I'm not going to lie. That's true, <laughs> I already right? mentioned like the, the past couple of podcasts. <laughs> like, how did we come to be that? Love and capitalism. Completely yeah. intentional. That. that was like, capitalism <laughs> was definitely in, like semi intentional, but, but um, the love thing was fully accidental. <laughs> um, so she mentioned uh, that one of the biggest adversaries of like, love thriving in our communities, in our society is um, due to capitalism, because there is a cynicism that frowns upon any suggestion that love could be as important as work, work in the capitalist definition, and mm -hmm. that it could be as crucial to our survival as a country in the same way. Like it's not mentioned or at all, like in the same breath of like, that this could be a pillar upon which you could build a thriving society. Um, thoughts? <laughs> Question. Well, broadly, I hate capitalism, so that's my main thought. Yeah. Well, a bit more narrowly, um, I, I mean, in reality, patriarchy really does service capitalism in that way, right? Um, if men are made to feel as though they don't have to be practitioners of love, uh, they just have to be providers, um, you know, that providing is done by, of course, like selling one's labor. Um, I think, honestly, that compartmentalization of life really does work to capitalism's benefits. <laughs> there's like, man, I have been lacking on this text, but there's a text going around. Uh, it's been around for a couple of years. Um, the title is something along the lines of uh, why women have better sex under socialism or something like that. And I think. <laughs> say more. Uh, say I more? know. I, mean, I know that one. Ha have you read it? I've not read it thoroughly. It's uh, one of those things that is also like creeping up on my reading list, but hasn't made it to the top yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's online as well, but uh, I do know that a little bit of the, context of the, of the um, book is uh, this, I mean, the rampant inequality that capitalism enforces upon us is part of the reason why sex kind of sucks <laughs> for women. Um, and men are, are probably like, by and large, not having genuinely fulfilling sex either. But uh, the I think there's a lot to be said, and again, I, I'm not going to assume this is in the text, but I think there's a lot to be said about how power and power imbalances really does impact the way we relate to each other, the way we connect as uh, intimate individuals. Um, it really sort of skews our perception, I think. And I mean, I just, I, I know that so many men view sex as conquest or as another realm of domination or as a, um, a feather in one's cap or an achievement, you know? Um, we, we all know the, the, the tried and true like tropes of, uh, for women, a high body count is bad, but for men, it's, it's, uh, um, it's a good thing. So 
yeah, I think there's, I think there's really that at play here too. Um, but I'm just trying to sort of work through these thoughts piece by piece. Um, so I think that in, I really wish we, I think we should do this, uh, in parts anyway. <laughs> I think we're ambitious to try and cover it in the allotted amount of time, but speaking of time, um, do you, Tyler, do you have a one last topic or thought about the work that, or what it's brought up for you, anything in that area that you'd like, uh, to put to discussion before we try to be respectful of our listeners' time. <laughs> yes, it's a left turn though, I'm not gonna lie. Um, right. <laughs> so, have you guys, are you guys familiar with the concept of agape love? No. Rudimentary, so you should Rudimentary. explain it anyway. Okay. So for you and or the listener, um, agape love broadly is this concept in Christian theology. Um, basically, it is seen as like the highest form of love. It is unconditional love. It's the love that God has for us, and it's the love that we should try to emulate. And I was just sitting with this thought the other day. I think um, so much of our culture is influenced by uh, specifically evangelical uh, Christianity, evangelical Christian beliefs. Um, that I think agape love for a whole generation of people, uh, or maybe multiple, multiple generations has totally wrecked the way, uh, that they view relationships. Because if you're told that this way to love somebody is the right way, you're not really being taught the intricacies, how to navigate the difficulties of course, we're human. It's not going to be easy to love people, period. To love them unconditionally, Lord have mercy. <laughs> it's, it's an insane endeavor. It's kind of like, to my mind, telling someone in the pulpit, from a pulpit, telling them to practice agape love and their home lives and their relationships. It's kind of the same as me like going to my basketball coach and saying, hey, coach, how do I get better at basketball? And he looks at me and in between puffs of his cigar says, uh, play like LeBron. I don't know. And then he walks away. That's not helpful. That's not helpful at all. I appreciate it. LeBron is basketball Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I rehearsed that. Um, <laughs> it's not helpful at all to think about the perfect form of something. What we need to be thinking about is how to get past the inconveniences, the difficulties, the struggles that we will inevitably face because no relationship is perfect. And so if we're told to chase an ideal, we'll never even get to the point of being good. So I guess that's that's sort of one of my final thoughts on, on this matter. What do you guys think? That's kind of uh, akin to um, something that often stops people from like trying a thing, right? Is like, it has to be perfect on the first try especially people that are accustomed to something, you know, being able to excel at the on the first try and then it doesn't really breed the work ethic of working at the thing, right? I think, I yeah, I feel like growing up, that was the main, even though my family's not Christian at all, like we're not religious. Um, so it's interesting to see how that, I think, permeates the society fully. Mm. Um because I think that was probably more my understanding of love. And it wasn't until college and experiencing friendships, actually, that I learned about working at relationships and working at love. And it's been transformational for me. Um, you know, and as Beyonce said, I quoted this to Gloria a few days ago, but as Beyonce said, you know, younger me could never hang with me today. And that's a great thing. Um, <laughs> But no, I feel that one deeply. But I didn't really, I'd never actually understood the religious context. Um, but now I'm like actually kind of realizing that I think that that's pretty on the mark for me. Hmm. Same, same, but different. <laughs> I.e., I am going to completely, if you took the right time, I'm just going to go on a roundabout. Uh, but my final take, um, 
which I think is becoming uh, more fleshed out in my view of the world, the older I get, which is a lot of things that are quote unquote intangible uh, are seeming to me to be more of the solution to a lot of our problems. And that is to say that I really do buy into her philosophy or her take that um, the politicization of love and that is to say like widespread narrative of like practicing love is lacking but we should really be working at it and uh have it be extolled as um the like end of like uh, as something as a weapon that could end like domination and a lot of like suffering because I really do buy into that. She, I mean, she was uh, in the passage where she discusses that she was giving the examples of like how the hippie movement in the 60s and 70s, that was like really one of their primary pillars in addition to like being against all this, that and the other, but like they really saw love as like the great um, silver bullet to a lot of like society's problems that if you practice love, like in the way that she defines it or in the way that they defined it, which is like an active, uh, labor of like just really actively choosing and being intentional every day and you practice that and we all practice it to a greater scale and there was value and we valued that work as a society it would be very hard to justify a lot of like the shitty things that are happening today like it would be very hard for you to not see the environment as something worth saving if you like are practicing mm-hmm. loving of like not just your family but also like all the other families who will be impacted by like climate change like that, that kind of thing it's that and sorry now i'm rambling but the last thing that i couple that with i've been reading a lot of isabel workerson and the biggest takeaway from mm-hmm. class that i had was was really the emphasis on not just empathy, but radical empathy, which is really folded in Lua for me. It's like, if we got to practice that, if we had society value it the same way, we value a hefty paycheck and uh, uh, like a great education that could, I could go a long way. Mm-hmm. Period. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Well <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> With that, we'll take a quick break because naturally we're already over <laughs> and we'll be back with our final segment of the show. All right, everyone, welcome back. Um, this is our final segment of this episode of the podcast. So Tyler, this final segment is called Brains, Brawn or Beef. Um, we're going to ask you to pick one of those and brains would be a recommendation. It can be anything that you would like to, you know, market or, uh, refer our listeners and us to, um, Braun is give us a flex, tell us something that you're really proud of or something good that has happened or, you know, it can be whatever. Um, and then beef is tell us who or what you are currently beefing with. Um, and, Petty answers are appreciated. <laughs> mm, okay. I think I got one for y'all. This is a beef. Uh, yes. For sure, beef. Um, so, okay. I, I know that, you know, there's a war going on in Ukraine. It's very upsetting. Um, I know that a lot of y'all are choosing to use a tragedy in the world as a reason to no longer care about COVID. I get it. I understand that all the government mandates, which were very loosely enforced, are all falling off. Um, most of y'all weren't even wearing your masks properly in the first place, down beneath your nose and all that. It's fine. I, I've come to expect it. This is, this is who we are. Um, and I'm in Virginia, so I like. I think that definitely explains a little bit of this. This is the one thing I'm going to ask for y'all. I'm still going to be wearing my mask. Um, if you choose not to wear your mask, and even if you do choose to wear your mask, can we please keep that six foot rule in place? Just don't stand behind me in line breathing on my neck. I don't need to feel your nasty ass moist breath building up condensation on the back of my neck as I'm trying to buy my specialty salami. I just don't need it. I'm in here to get my groceries. I wanna make my pizza. 
I don't need any of what you got going on. Even if you're COVID free, it's unnecessary. Please keep, if you can't keep six feet, keep three, keep two. Just don't rest your head on my shoulder. I don't need it. <laughs> that's, that's really all I have to say. It's been, it's been bumming me out. I, so our new governor, our new governor, Greg Youngkin, uh-uh, terrible, man. terrible, um, terrible, terrible man. Uh, but we chose mm-hmm. him. Uh, y'all chosen, not you guys, <laughs> y'all. Um, <laughs> he visited actually the Harris Theater that I go to sometimes, mm-hmm. and he went maskless. And I, ever since I've been going um, and noticing that a lot of y'all have really dropped any pretense of etiquette and are standing closer and closer and closer in line. And so I'm just asking that if you're going to breathe out all your toxins, just breathe them a bit further away than like two inches from my, my throat. That's all I need. Please do. We're going to end this podcast. Tyler, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I wish we'd had two more hours, but I'm trying this new thing where I respect our listeners' time. Eos, thank you for joining me again with the one way. We'll go we'll go back in vacation mode right after this. But yeah. Thank you, Tyler. It's been wonderful. Thank you guys. Stay safe out there. I look forward to hanging when y'all are back. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys again in two weeks. Bye-bye.